Millie and the Macy's Parade by Shanna Corey. It was 1924, Millie's first year in America, and all over New York City, people were hustling and bustling about, getting ready for the holidays. At the center of all the hubbub was Macy's, the great department store where Millie's papa worked, and watching them all from his private penthouse office was Mr. Macy. Papa said Mr. Macy was just about the most important person in America, next to the president, of course, and Millie was inclined to agree. She visited Mr. Macy's store every day after school. It was like a giant present waiting to be unwrapped. Whoosh! She went around and around on the revolving doors. Up, 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 she sailed on the great escalator. Down, 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 she rode in the grand elevator. She flew from fashions to home furnishings. She breezed through ball gowns, swirled through scarves, loitered in ladies' lingerie, and she always, always tried out all the toys. Millie thought Macy's was magic. And Millie wasn't the only one. Thousands of people streamed into the store every day. Most of them took one look at the trinkets and the treasures, the glamour and the glitter, and said the same thing. Gorgeous. But some of them did not. Some of them only pressed their noses against the windows and sighed. It's not like home, they said. Millie remembered what it was like to be homesick. When her family first came to America from Poland, they'd been homesick too. Mama had missed Polish foods. Papa had missed Polish words. And Millie had missed just about everything. But after many months, Millie's family was starting to get used to America. Mama was finding places to buy Polish foods and sometimes trying American foods. Papa was learning new American words. At Macy's, Millie was pretending to be a princess and making all sorts of American friends in the process. Still being homesick was a horrible feeling, and no one should be homesick during the holidays. Millie went out to the delivery dock to talk to Papa about it. She found him resting with a faraway look in his eyes. What's wrong? asked Millie. I miss our holidays back home, said Papa. I love America, but everything here feels different. I miss home, too, said Papa's friend Herman. In my country, I was surrounded by friends and family. How can I celebrate when I'm all alone? Nothing in America is the same as it was in the old country, agreed Albert. In my country, we celebrate with big brass instruments and caroling from house to house. It would take a hundred years to go caroling to all the apartments in New York City, sighed Papa. Maybe we won't ever have a real holiday celebration in America. Millie looked from one sad, drooping face to the other, and that was when she had her idea, the most marvelous idea that ever a little girl had. There was only one person who could bring that kind of holiday celebration to America. Millie raced back into the store, past the perfumes and the purses, the diamonds and the dolls, all the way up to the 13th floor. At the top of the escalator was his door. Millie opened it a crack. Inside his office, Mr. Macy was pacing back and forth. Why, it's almost Thanksgiving and Christmas is right around the corner, he grumbled. But the sales clerks are all frowning when they should be festive. It's depressing the customers. Mr. Macy's assistant, Mr. Snidely, snickered. Maybe we should fire them. Fire them? Fire Papa and his friends? No, Millie cried, you can't fire them. What? thundered Mr. Macy. Who said that? Millie stepped forward. Um, I did, sir. I didn't mean to be rude. It's just that I don't think firing people will make them any more festive. What are you doing here, little girl? asked Mr. Snidely. Millie gulped. Then she told Mr. Macy and Mr. Snidely all about Papa and his friends and their holiday celebrations back home. Hmm, said Mr. Macy. Homesick, you don't say. 
I've been homesick myself before. But still, how can we cure homesickness? Millie explained her plan. Maybe, just maybe, Macy's could bring a little bit of everyone's home to America. What, asked Mr. Macy, singing and strolling in the streets? Ridiculous, scoffed Mr. Schneidley. No one will come. But Mr. Macy didn't seem to hear him. There was a twinkle in his eyes that hadn't been there before. I like the way you think, he said to Millie. The next day there was a sign posted at Macy's. A parade, said Papa, with singing and strolling in the streets. Yes, said Millie, just like at the old country. Soon word began to spread. Say, kid, whispered Flossie at the Follies, did you hear about the parade on Thanksgiving? Gee whiz, sounds swell, Trixie answered between kicks. What's this about a holiday parade, asked Mr. Rockefeller at breakfast. Should we buy it for the children? I don't think the parade is for sale, dear, replied his wife. But if the Vanderbilts are going, we'd better go too. On the morning of the parade, Millie and Papa woke up extra early. They dressed in costumes that Mama had made for them. I'll be watching from the sidewalk, she said as she waved goodbye. Then Millie and Papa took the elevated train all the way uptown to Harlem, where everyone was meeting. When they got there, the streets were filled with people. All the Macy's workers were dressed up and ready to march. Let's have a parade, shouted Mr. Macy. All at once, clowns and cowboys, sheiks and knights began marching down the street. A band played a polka. Papa and his friends sang and strolled, just as they headed the old country. In the middle of it all, Millie rode on an elephant borrowed from the Central Park Zoo. That's my daughter, said Mama proudly as Millie passed by. Lovely, murmured Mrs. Rockefeller. Now this is a celebration, called Papa over the roar of the crowd. Yes, said Papa's friend Herman, an American celebration. Everyone agreed that the parade was a huge success. Maybe we should do this every year, Millie suggested. Well, began Mr. Snidely, I hardly think. Mr. Macy gave him a sharp look. Yes, Millie, finished Mr. Snidely meekly. Marvelous idea, Millie. And that's how Millie and Mr. Macy started a new holiday tradition. It looked a little like the old country and a little like America and a little like something entirely new. Who would have thought that one marvelous idea could give so many different people something to celebrate together? Emma's Christmas, an old song resung and pictured by Irene Trivis. Once upon a time, there was a farmer's daughter named Emma who went barefoot in the summer, talked to the pigs, and liked to sit in the branches of the old cherry tree all year round. She did wear boots in the winter. On the first day of Christmas, a young local prince saw Emma in her tree. Then and there he knew that she, and only she, could be his own true love. The prince asked the farmer for Emma's hand in marriage. The farmer asked her how she felt about such an honor. Emma wasn't all that thrilled. The prince had a funny smile, and he was, to be sure, a prince. But she couldn't imagine herself living happily in a castle. No, she said, but thank you, prince. However, the prince would not take no for an answer. Instead, that very day, he sent her by royal messenger a partridge in a pear tree. Emma was pleasantly surprised. On the second day of Christmas, two messengers came, bearing a cage with two turtle doves and another partridge in another pear tree. Emma was charmed. On the morning of the third day of Christmas, three men trudged through the snow with three French hens, two more turtle doves, and a third partridge and a third pear tree. He's overdoing it, muttered Emma's mother. 
On the fourth day of Christmas, more messengers brought four calling birds who called out, Emma, 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 Emma. Three French hens, two turtle doves, and another pear tree with yet another partridge. We'd better build a birdhouse, said Emma's father. Her mother made ten quarts of pear jam. On the fifth day of Christmas, Emma received four more calling birds, three more French hens, two more turtle doves, another partridge in a pear tree, and for change, five golden rings. At dawn on the sixth day of Christmas, Emma was still in bed when she heard six knocks on the cottage door. She peeked out the window and saw six swans swimming in a silver pool. All the other birds were backed up by the chimney. Five more golden rings were tied to the door handle. Knock, 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 knock. It was the seventh day of Christmas. When she opened the door, Emma saw seven geese alane, six more swans a-swimming, five golden rings, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and another partridge in a pear tree. That made 69 birds, and they're all laying eggs, she groaned. On the eighth day of Christmas, there was something new. Eight milking maids, each with her own pail, milking stool, and cow. Behind them were seven more geese, six more swimming swans, four calling birds, three French hens, and two turtle doves. Five more golden wings were hanging on the pear tree. A partridge was chewing on the fifth. Worn out, Emma dreamed she heard music, but it was no dream. It was the morning of the ninth day of Christmas, and what she heard were nine pipers piping a tune that was so lovely she could almost ignore the eight new milkmaids and their cows, the seven new geese, the six new swans, the five new golden rings, the four new calling birds, three new French hens, two new turtle doves, and way off in the distance, the partridge in the pear tree. But not quite. On the tenth day of Christmas, the cottage door flew open, and ten drummers drummed their way inside to the nine pipers piping. The eight milkmaids tumbled after, with all the cows, geese, swans, golden rings, calling birds, French hens, turtle doves, and, of course, a partridge in another pear tree. The farmer and his wife packed some eggs and 100 jars of pear jam and left home to visit the farmer's ancient parents, who lived far away on the other side of the kingdom. Emma stayed home to watch over the farm. That night, she made 52 pear omelets for all the drummers, pipers, and maids. She fed the cows 24 bales of hay. The birds did very well on chopped pears and cottage cheese. On the 11th day of Christmas, 11 ladies danced in with 10 more drummers, 9 more pipers, 8 more milking maids, and all the usual birds. Emma made 90 omelets, squeezed 10 gallons of pear juice, and fed everybody. Then she threw the 35 rings at the 32 calling birds, who were driving her crazy, screeching, Emma, 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 Emma! On the 12th day of Christmas, a very weary Emma climbed up to the hayloft for some sleep. But over the snowy hills, she saw 10 leaping lords, 11 dancing ladies, 10 drumming drummers, 9 piping pipers, 8 milkmaids with cows, 7 laying geese, 6 swimming swans, 5 pages bearing 5 golden rings, 4 calling birds, 3 French hens, 2 turtle doves, and just behind the pear tree in its partridge, the prince himself, smiling his funny smile. In spite of herself, Emma's enchanted. The prince ran into the house and up the ladder, Emma, my own true love, he cried. Now will you be my princess and live with me in the castle? Prince, dear, yes and no, Emma replied. I've been thinking. Most of the castle's people must be here by now. If they stayed and you stayed, well, then we could be married. Would you like to be my farmer, prince? I'd love it, he said. 
And so it was that Emma and the prince, in the company of twelve lords, twenty-two ladies, thirty drummers, thirty-six pipers, forty milking maids and their cows, forty-two geese, forty-two swans, thirty-six calling birds, thirty French hens, twenty-two turtle doves, twelve partridges, and Emma's father and mother exchanged forty golden rings and were very happily married. The pear tree grew into an orchard, and the cows into a dairy herd, and the 184 birds lay thousands and thousands of eggs, most of which hatched. If You Take a Mouse to the Movies by Laura Numeroff. If you take a mouse to the movies, he'll ask you for some popcorn. When you give him the popcorn, he'll want to string it all together. Then he'll want to hang it on a Christmas tree. You'll have to buy him one. On the way home, he'll see a snowman in your neighbor's yard. He'll want to make one of his own. Then he'll need a carrot for a nose. When he's all finished, he'll decide to build a fort. He'll ask you to help him. Then he'll want to make some snowballs and have a snowball fight. Playing outside will make him cold. He'll want to go inside and curl up on the couch. He'll ask you for a blanket. Once he's nice and cozy, he'll want to listen to Christmas carols. You'll have to find some on the radio. He'll probably sing along. The carols will remind him of his Christmas tree, so he'll want to make ornaments. You'll get him some paper and some glue. He'll ask you for glitter. When the ornaments are done, he'll hang them all up. Then he'll stand back to look at the tree. He'll notice his popcorn string is missing, so he'll want to make another one. He'll ask you for some popcorn, and chances are when you give him the popcorn, he'll want you to take him to the movies. There was an old lady who swallowed a bell by Lucille Colandro. There was an old lady who swallowed a bell. How it jingled and jangled and tickled as well. I don't know why she swallowed a bell. I wish she'd tell. There was an old lady who swallowed some bows. Soft as the snow were those velvety bows. She swallowed the bows to tie up the bell that jingled and jangled and tickled as well. I don't know why she swallowed a bell. I wish she'd tell. There was an old lady who swallowed some gifts. It gave her a lift to swallow the gifts. She swallowed the gifts to go with the bows. She swallowed the bows to tie up the bell that jingled and jangled and tickled as well. I don't know why she swallowed a bell. I wish she'd tell. There was an old lady who swallowed a sack. It was easy to pack, a very big sack. She swallowed the sack to hold all the gifts. She swallowed the gifts to go with the bows. She swallowed the bows to tie up the bell that jingled and jangled and tickled as well. I don't know why she swallowed a bell. I wish she'd tell. There was an old lady who swallowed a sleigh. What a ton it weighed, that shiny red sleigh. She swallowed the sleigh to carry the sack. She swallowed the sack to hold all the gifts. She swallowed the gifts to go with the bows. She swallowed the bows to tie up the bell that jingled and jangled and tickled as well. I don't know why she swallowed a bell. I wish she'd tell. There was an old lady who swallowed some reindeer. They were in full flight gear, those soaring reindeer. She swallowed the reindeer to steer the sleigh. She swallowed the sleigh to carry the sack. She swallowed the sack to hold the gifts. She swallowed the gifts to go with the bows. She swallowed the bows to tie up the bell that jingled and jangled and tickled as well. I don't know why she swallowed a bell. I wish she'd tell. Then the old lady needed a treat. 
She thought a candy cane would be very sweet. But when she heard a jolly ho, 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 she knew it was time for her to go. So she whistled loudly, and soon by her side was Santa Claus waiting for a ride. Happy holidays to all. Christmas in the City by Loretta Krupinski. New York City was preparing for Christmas. People rushed up and down the sidewalks from one corner to the next, carrying packages and gifts. Windows were decorated, wreaths were hung, and little twinkly lights were wrapped around the bare branches of trees, which glowed at night like blossoms. The tree rose tall and proud in Rockefeller Plaza. 8,000 lights sparkled like jewels from the top of the tree to the bottom. Christmas balls the size of grapefruit hung from its branches. Then when the saws stopped buzzing, the car horns stopped honking, and the workmen's voices finally fell silent, two tiny mice peeked out from a hole in the tree's trunk. My dear, our home has now become a Christmas tree, said Mr. Mouse. The biggest one of all, said Mrs. Mouse. Hundreds of people looked back up at the tree while the mice watched the skaters below. They were country mice, and the tree was their home. Now they found themselves at Rockefeller Center in the heart of New York City. After they tidied up the furniture and gathered up the spill seeds, Mrs. Mouse said, Let's explore. I want to see everything. Are you certain you're up to it? asked Mr. Mouse. Mrs. Mouse was expecting babies. You never know when the little ones will arrive, said Mrs. Mouse. But now we're here in the big city. Come with me. With the slim crescent moon gleaming in the sky, the two mice walked hand in hand down the now dark and deserted sidewalk. They looked in the star store windows and paused in front of the one with Santa Claus in his workshop. It was so beautiful. Mr. Mouse put his arm around Mrs. Mouse. Not a squeak was spoken for fear it would break the spell. The next night, Mrs. Mouse spotted a toy store. Wouldn't it be wonderful to live in a dollhouse like that instead of in a tree, she sighed. Good idea, Mrs. Mouse. We could use one of the rooms to source seeds and nuts, said Mr. Mouse. And I could have a nursery for our babies, she added. On the way home, they found part of a pretzel and an apple core. Here, stuff the apple seeds in your pockets, Mr. Mouse said, and I'll carry this piece of bread. I'll race you across the ice rink back to the tree. They skimmed across the ice like two feathers being blown by the wind. By day, they slept and dreamed. At night, the rosy glow from the Christmas lights filled their home. They dined on seeds and planted, planned their walks. Tonight, said Mr. Mouse, let's see what's at the bottom of those stairs that go underground. Oh, yes, said Mrs. Mouse. Maybe we'll find some mouse friends. Down the stairs and under the sidewalk, they went. I don't want to go too far, said Mrs. Mouse. We don't know what's down here. But every corner was well lit. They ventured out into a platform that ended in a dark tunnel. Then suddenly there was a great rumbling and shaking. A loud roar and a light erupted from the tunnel. A train broke through the darkness toward them. The two mice scurried back up the stairs. What was that? exclaimed Mrs. Mouse. Mr. Mouse couldn't answer. He was out of breath. One night they discovered elegant horse-drawn carriages in front of a large wooded area. The horses pranced in place and shook their heads, eager to begin their journey back to the stable. Mrs. Mouse's eyes sparkled with excitement. The park reminded her of her home in the country. Oh, could we look for a new tree?
When the babies arise, I want them to live here, where there are plenty of trees and grass. Good idea, Mrs. Mouse. First, let's hitch a ride on a carriage, said Mr. Mouse. And they, as they did, snowflakes the size of mouse ears began to fall. On their next stroll between two buildings, they saw a great star swinging among the real stars in the midnight sky. Hundreds of little white lights twinkled as it swayed in the gentle evening breeze. The star led them to a building with a tall steeple adorned with a cross on top. The stone exterior was carved as delicately as lace. I think we should go in here, said Mrs. Mouse. The babies are coming. We don't have time to get back to the tree. The door was open enough for small mice to enter. Inside the glow of a thousand candles filled the room. Let's not go in there, dear. Too many people, said Mr. Mouse. He remembered a manger scene in the churchyard. Come with me. I know where to go, he said. He led Mrs. Mouse to the soft bed of straw. She laid her head against his chest and he pulled the straw over them. Then he wrapped his arms around her, peeking at the real star that winked overhead. That night, three baby mice were born in the churchyard. Merry Christmas, said a small dog to the mice. Don't be afraid. Don't you know tonight is Christmas Eve? That means there is peace and goodwill between all animals. I've brought you a present, he said, dropping half a donut onto the straw. Later that same evening, a squirrel perched on the manger above the mice. Merry Christmas, he said, after dropping a peanut he was holding. It's for you. A striped cat was attracted to the movement in the straw. Do not be afraid, she said to the mice. I come with peace in my heart and a chestnut for you. That Christmas Eve, Mr. and Mrs. Mouth were truly blessed. They were surrounded by love, comfort, and their new babies. The very next evening, Mr. and Mrs. Mouse bundled up the babies against the cold and creeping cautiously hurried back to their home in Rockefeller Center. The warmth from the rosy glow of the Christmas lights spread through their little home. Cozy days and nights came and went as they took care of their new family. Then one morning, peace and harmony came to an end. They peeked out to see the workmen untangling the long strands of lights. Christmas balls were unhooked. As happens to Christmas trees, this one was coming down. What do we do now, exclaimed Mrs. Mouse. It's too late to climb down the tree, dear. Just hang on, called Mr. Mouse. As the Mouse family firmly clutched their babies, the tree was neatly laid into a flatbed truck. Through the city they went as the car horns beeped and the gears on the truck grumbled, shifted, and purred. Soon they were back in the countryside where they had come from. The little field mice left their tree that day and searched for a new home. They came across an old barn. Up in the rafters amid old chairs and trunks, and much to Mrs. Mouse's delight, they found a dollhouse. They filled one room with seeds and nuts and another room with the babies. And every Christmas Eve, they tell their children the story of how the mouse from the country spent Christmas away in a manger in New York City. Too Many Tamales by Gary Soto Snow drifted through the streets, and now that it was dusk, Christmas trees glittered in the windows. Maria moved her nose off the glass and came back to the counter. She was acting grown-up now, helping her mother make tamales. Their hands were sticky with masa. That's very good, her mother said. Maria happily kneaded the masa. She felt grown-up, wearing her mother's apron. Her mother had even let her wear lipstick and perfume. If only I could wear Mom's ring, she thought to herself. 
Maria's mother had placed her diamond ring on the kitchen counter. Maria loved that ring. She loved how it sparkled like the Christmas tree lights. When her mother left the kitchen to answer the telephone, Maria couldn't help herself. She wiped her hands on the apron and looked back at the door. I'll wear the ring for just a minute, she said to herself. The ring sparkled on her thumb. Maria returned to heating the masa, kneading the masa, her hands pumping up and down. On her thumb, the ring disappeared, then reappeared in the sticky glob of dough. Her mother returned and took the bowl from her. Go get your father for this part, she said. Then the three of them began to spend, spread the masa on corn husks. Maria's father helped by plopping a spoonful of meat in the center and folding the husk. He then placed them in a large pot on the stove. They made 24 tamales as the windows grew white with delicious smelling curls of steam. A few hours later, the family came over with armfuls of presents. Her grandparents, her uncle and aunt, and her cousins, Dolores, Teresa, and Danny. Maria kissed everyone hello. Then she grabbed Dolores by the arm and took her upstairs to play, with the other cousins tagging along after them. They cut out pictures from the newspaper, pictures of toys they hoped were wrapped and sitting underneath the Christmas tree. As Maria was snipping out the picture of her pearl necklace, a shock spread throughout her body. The ring, she screamed. Everyone stared at her. What ring, Dolores said. Without answering, Maria ran to the kitchen. The steaming tamales lay piled on a platter. The ring is one inside one of those tamales, she thought to herself. It must have come off when I was kneading the masa. Dolores, Teresa, and Danny skidded into the kitchen behind her. Help me, Maria cried. They looked at each other. Danny piped up first. What do you want us to do? Eat them, she said. If you bite something hard, tell me. The four of them started eating. They ripped off the husks and bit into them. The first one was good. The second one pretty good, but by the third tamale, they were tired of the taste. Keep eating, Maria's golden. Corn husks littered the floor. Their stomachs were stretched till they hurt, but the cousins kept eating until only, only one tamale remained on the plate. This must be it, she said. The ring must be in that one. We'll each take a bite. You first, Danny. Danny was the youngest, so he didn't argue. He took a bite. Nothing. Dolores took a bite. Nothing. Teresa took a big bite. Still nothing. It was Maria's turn. She took a deep breath and slowly, gently bit into the last mouthful of tamale. Nothing. Didn't any of you bite something hard, Maria asked. Danny frowned. I think I swallowed something hard, he said. Swallowed it, Maria cried, her eyes big with worry. She looked inside his mouth. Teresa said, I didn't bite into anything hard, but I think I'm sick. She held her stomach with both hands. Maria didn't dare look into Teresa's mouth. She wanted to throw herself onto the floor and cry. The ring was now in her cousin's throat, or worse, his belly. How in the world could she tell her mother? But I have to, she thought. She could feel tears pressing to get out as she walked into the living room where the grown-ups sat talking. They chattered so loudly that Maria didn't know how to interrupt. Finally, she tugged on her mother's sleeve. What's the matter, her mother asked. She took Maria's hand. I did something wrong, Maria sobbed. What, her mother asked. Maria thought about the beautiful ring that was now sitting inside Danny's belly and got ready to confess. Then she gasped. The ring was on her mother's finger, bright as ever. The ring, Maria nearly screamed. Maria's mother scraped off a flake of dried masa. You were playing with it, she said, smiling gently. I wanted to wear it, Maria said, looking down at the rug. Then she told them about all how they had eaten the tamales. Her mother moved the ring a little on her finger. It winked a silvery light. Maria looked up and Aunt Rosa winked at her too. 
Well, it looks like we all have to cook another batch of tamales, Rosa said cheerfully. Maria held her full stomach as everyone filed into the kitchen, joking and laughing. At first, she still felt like crying as she needed a great bowl of masa next to Aunt Rosa. As she pumped her hands up and down, a leftover tear fell from her eyelashes into the bowl and for just a second rested on her finger, sparkling like a jewel. Then Rosa nudged her with her elbow and said, Hey, Nina, it's not so bad. Everyone knows that the second batch of tamale always tastes better than the first, right? When Dolores, Teresa, and Danny heard that from the other side of the room, they let off a groan the size of 24 tamales. Then Maria couldn't help herself. She laughed. And pretty soon everyone else was laughing, including her mother. And when Maria put her hands back into the bowl of masa, the leftover tear was gone.